Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And uh, if you remember, I preached on Malachi when I was here in June and July. And as Marty and Dick and I talked about it, we had about five weeks before the Christmas season. And that left five weeks that I had left for Malachi. So we wanted to get back and be a good minister, finish up what I started. So let's give our attention to God's Word. Chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. Have we not all one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob even though he brings offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And you ask, why? It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth, because you have broken faith with her. And though she is partnered, your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are His, but why one? Because He was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit, and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, and I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well with his garment says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this text. And may we thank you for what it reminds the church of your great call on us to covenantal faithfulness. We thank you that you are faithful to us. And Lord, we pray that you would use this text to make us more like you faithful in all our commitments, and we ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in 1666, a remarkable thing happened in the providence of history. A young man happened to be sitting outside, and while he was peering, or I'm sorry, he was inside, he was looking outside, and while he was peering out his window, he happened to see an apple fall from a tree and hit the ground. Now, many of us know who that 23-year-old man was. That was the great Sir Isaac Newton. And that led to his, what we would say, common sense understanding of the thing called gravity. And for him, this was a huge observation, knowing that wherever we go on this planet, whatever goes up must come down. And this force of gravity is what kept things like the moon in orbit. And so from Newton's discovery, we get that great proverb, what goes up must come down. When we were last looking at Malachi, and to provide a brief review, we looked at a problem that the priest had. And that problem was simply this, in a nutshell. They kept offering poor sacrifices to God. They did not honor God by their sacrifices. And in fact, they continued to teach that to the people. And it affected the people, as we saw in the first two chapters of Malachi. And as things to continue to go up, this poor offering, eventually its poorness comes back down. 
Malachi shares these words to the priest of how they have turned away from him when we look at verse 8 of chapter 2. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of the Lord, says the Lord's Lord of hosts. And so what we're going to look at today is the fruits of a faulty ministry. When a, when a minister or a priest at that time did not honor God in the way God clearly stated, eventually, even though it went up one way bad, it's also going to return to the people in a bad way. So there's three things I'd like to share with you about today. First, broken covenants with one another, forming broken covenants, and breaking marital covenants. Now, it's important to notice in this passage, there is a key word that is repeated five times in this passage. Uh, the NIV translates it, breaking of faith. The ESV translates it, faithless. And the NAS translates it, dealing treacherously. And it's the Hebrew word called begod. And basically, the word means this a violation of a covenant or an act of betrayal or treachery in a relationship that calls for loyalty, kindness, and service. One image from Scripture compares Bagad to a warrior reaching in his bow, looking for an arrow in a time of need, but finding it broken when he looks for it. What should be dependable, what should be counted on in a time of crisis, is not there because it's broken. And so Malachi begins to describe Bagad in a general sense. He first says this, that there's a Bagad, a devastation in broken covenants. Look with me in verse 10. He says, Have we not all one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? One of the great ways prophets bring up issues or uh, counselors bring up issues is by asking questions. And we see Malachi asking questions to stir thinking. Jesus did this all the time by asking the disciples or the people questions to sort of illuminate them. And right from the beginning, two things Malachi's showing the Israelites. Notice with me, he tells them there is one Father and one Creator. This is extremely important when we get to this whole issue of breaking covenants. The first thing he says is, we have one Father. And the, the, the illustration there Malachi is getting at is we're family. He's saying to these Israelites who are breaking covenant with one another, don't you remember we're family? We're not individuals. We're not separate and distinct. We have a collective Father in God. The second, he says, is we're, we have one Creator. There's one person who made us. And so there's a unity to us even though we are diverse in these 12 tribes. And these dual concepts are not synonymous, but should be understood as being complementary. And the we that Malachi is using here is in reference, obviously, to God's people. And his charge was, is you're breaking faith. You're breaking covenant with the people of God. So how do we break faith in life? And what does God call us to do? One of my favorite pastors, John Piper, had this to share about this principle. He said there's two ways of doing life with others. He labeled one covenantal order and the other one individualistic disorder. 
And so what does he mean by that? Well, first, this idea of covenantal order is a kingdom mentality. We serve under one unified king. That is the kingdom of God. And we do it in faithfulness. And we do it in love. Jesus said it this way, very simply. Love your neighbor as yourself. That was the second half of the commandments of God. That we are to love one another. In God's kingdom, there should be a pervasiveness of love. It should be true of us. And true of God's kingdom. It means we honor our contracts our vows, our commitments, not because of how we feel, but because of our love and our commitment to the other person. This morning, uh, Marty read from the book of Acts, and it's interesting, I'm speaking on Ephesians uh, over at the uh, base, to the ground floor, to the airmen. And Paul gets to Ephesus, and guess what happens? He has this great ministry right when he gets there. The folks in the synagogue, the Jews say, keep on coming back. I think this is the only time that happens in Paul's ministry. And guess what Paul says? Thanks, but no thanks, i got to run. You know, that's not normal, uh, uh, the way we normally look at ministry. <laughs> you got a, a group of people that says, please teach us. And Paul says, no, i got to go. The reason why he says, no, i got to go, happens a couple verses ahead of that because he makes a vow, a Nazarite vow. And that vow entails that he must go to Jerusalem and offer that vow. And so he tells the Ephesians, if it's the Lord's will, I hope I can come back. But he puts that vow above what he sees down here. Now, in our day and age, we might say, well, let's rationalize that. But Paul says, I'm trusting God's providence in this. You see where I'm going? He honored his covenant to God and to whoever else he made that vow to. Jesus said it simply this way, let your yes be a yes and let your no be a no. It is that simple. The flip side of this is individualistic disorder. It's the idea that is growing more and more into America. It's that whole idea of consumer-driven, what pleases me. And the focus is on me and then the individual. John Benton says, at the center, it is an idea of the sanctity of individual choice, but really it is self and perceived needs. You know, we watch these reality shows all the time this day and age. And in them, you often see a team competing. But very rarely is it a team concept. There might be some of it, but in the end, they're all out for themselves. Because in the end, there's only one winner. There isn't a team winner. There's one winner. And so the focus is to glorify the self. And what often can lead this to, as we say in America, a dog-eat-dog lifestyle and cannibalistic. That is not the mentality of God's kingdom. Malachi's word to us is, don't be like that. It ruins the kingdom of God. That is not of us, Malachi would say, O Israel, we are to be one body. And though this is speaking to the Israelites, dear friends, it is for the church of today's day and age. Because if you remember, we have been engrafted in through Christ. We who, most of us in this room, I'm guessing, are not of Jewish lineage, but we are of Gentile lineage. We have been engrafted in. In the book of Ephesians, we, it says we have one Lord, one faith, 
one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and through all. That is the unity we have in Christ. So my friends, I would encourage you as Malachi encourages me to honor your covenant commitments. To be faithful when you tell someone to call, you'll call them back. You do. That you don't break your contracts. Now obviously there's sometimes when, when things outside or things happen after that that affect our contracts or affect our word. And those need to be taken in consideration. I, I, I well understand that. But God's commitment to us as His people is to be people of faithful covenantal order to honor our contracts and to honor our word. I like what Mark Twain said, always tell the truth. That way you don't have to remember what you said. Very simply put, honor your commitments. A second thing Malachi tackles is the debacle of faulty marriages. Look at verses 11 and 12. Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. Well, when we read this passage, that begs the question, what is courtship? What is a relationship in God's economy, in God's kingdom, supposed to look like? At the base, I get the privilege to counsel a lot of young couples. And a lot of them are very young. I mean, we're talking 18 and 19, getting married. And one of the things I want to get to them right from the start in a Christian marriage is there's one man, one woman, and God, and it's a triangle. It's a triangular relationship. And the goal is you have made, when you make your vows, you're not just making it just to that person. You're ultimately making it to God and to that person. And it's a covenantal faithfulness. And the Bible clearly states, don't be unevenly yoked. The issue there is a believer with a non-believer. And in today's day and age, when I talk with some of these young airmen, what do you mean? It's okay. It's not okay for me as a Christian to get married to so-and-so who's not a Christian. We love each other. My parents did it. That's what we often hear. But right from the beginning, Malachi is saying to these folks, if you want to honor God's marriage, it begins by honoring God's rules in marriage. Now, how do you guard yourself from unevenly yoked marriages? Some of you may have friends who are teens or, or, or young singles, but two things I would warn you of, and that is uh, Samson-like thinking and missionary dating. Uh, I had the privilege of being a campus minister. And Amber did it with me. She, was, she worked with Campus Crusade as well. And we would hear the phrase numerous times, but he's a great guy, or she's a great girl, and we really enjoy each other. But is she a, or he a believer? Well, they come with me to church. Now please hear me. Can God work through that? Of course He can. God is more than big enough to work through those hands. But we must be careful to guard our hearts. Uh, my wife had a dear friend one time, and she warned this young lady over and over again, don't get married to this man. He is not a believer. And you know that. 
And unfortunately, her heart grew tied to this person, and she did. And a number of years later, after having a couple kids, he left her. Many of those wounds could have been spared had she listened to God's Word. It is our job as a church to communicate that to friends and family, to protect them from those mistakes. The second one I would call is Samson-like thinking, and this sort of pervades more the males in the room than the females. But let me share with you from the Word of God what I mean by that. When The book of Judges says this, When Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines, he came back to and told his father and mother, I saw the woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among our people that you would go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she looks good to me. You see where the focus is at. It is on the outward appearance and not on the internal heart. And young men, I would say to you one of the greatest verses for a young guy to to just engrave with a chisel in your head is this from the book of Proverbs. It says this, that charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. You know, I got the fortunate blessing that not only did I get a woman who fears the Lord, but she happens to be Miss America at the same time. <clears throat> it's good to get her to blush every once in a while. But anyways, that's good for us to remember, men. And it's good for us to teach our boys. When I, when I preached on this at last church, I told the kids to say after me, say with me, kids, I will not marry someone who does not love Jesus. We need to teach that into our children's head. I will not marry someone who does not love Jesus. It is just that simple. You see, the problem is a heart issue. It's a worship issue. Who has control of that heart? And what Malachi wants these uh, Israelites to see is don't go after these daughters or these sons of foreign gods. Set that apart for those who worship God. And note, please notice, it has nothing to do with nationality or race. It has everything to do with who that person believes. Listen, Scripture is very clear. Zipporah was not a, 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 a Jew, but she was Moses' wife. Ruth and Rahab were not women of Israelite descendants, but yet they are listed in the lineage of our Lord Christ. And we need to be careful that we don't major on what is not an issue and minor on the things that are the real issues where we don't want to upset someone or say the wrong things. We need to speak truth to our family members and our friends about God's criteria in marriages. Well, Malachi continues by sharing the effects of illicit marriages. Notice what he says, and this we should think about. He first says that unholy marriages and don't miss this, are an abomination before God. Moses warned the Israelites saying, they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods and the Lord's anger will burn against you and quickly destroy you. He also goes on to say, Malachi says, that unholy marriages make the sanctuary unholy. It desecrates what should be set aside for holy purposes. That is the level of seriousness And then lastly, in verse 12, unholy marriages receive God's cursing. 
May the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he bring offerings to the Lord Almighty. Those indeed are serious words, dear friends. And it's a great challenge to us to remain committed to the Lord, whether you're single or whether you're married. And can God work through these? What if you came to Christ afterwards and your spouse hasn't come to Christ? Well, of course the Lord can work through those things. He is more than glorious. And the Bible even tells us He makes those children holy because one of the parents has become a Christian and the other one hasn't. But we need to remember, this is preached to the church family, to the Israelite family of how we guard marriages. And I realize, I very well realize, that this is not the pervasive teaching that you will find on Charmed or Beverly Hills 90210 or Gossip Girls or Twilight. This is God's Word, and it lasts for all eternity. And so as you see single friends who are waiting for God's Word, I would highly encourage you, families, dear friends, to have these people over and support them. It is a challenging season to wait for God's timing and for the person God would call to be their helpmate. So having dealt with broken commitments and faulty marriages, Malachi moves on to the deplorable nature of divorce. What kind of there's there's only one, or two kinds of divorces that are sanctioned in Scripture, and that is by adultery or abandonment. However, the divorce that 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 the Lord is referring to in Malachi is that of a choice or that of a will. In other words, they're unsanctioned divorces. And what was happening? These people who had divorced their spouses were coming into the sanctuary, wanting to give offerings to God, and God was not hearing them. These offerings were absolutely of no effect before God's eyes. Even though the person may have done great things or done a great sacrifice or giving above their means, God says, because you are continuing in this sin, I do not even hear them. And why is that happening? Well, the Lord was acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth. You see, this gets back to what I tell couples. When you make a covenant, when you do that vow, it is not just to you and her. It is ultimately to you and her and ultimately to God. He holds us accountable to these vows. It is the only place in the history of world where one plus one equals one. It is a divine unity and to separate and divorce means a ripping of the soul. On base, and I'll just share with you uh, quite candidly, there are a lot of divorces. Just a lot. I had one couple uh, in my uh, office a while back. Uh, This was his fourth marriage and this was her second. When, When someone gets divorced, and you've probably seen this, and you've probably heard the old adage, it's like an envelope being sealed and being ripped apart. And I know, dear brothers and sisters, God can work through that. And some of you all have been through that experience of divorce. And you know the pain I'm talking about. And yes, can God heal it? Most definitely, He can heal wounds. But divorces leave great scars. And they have a pervading influence across, not just the couple, but across families. Why does God deal with this? Notice what God wants. Did you catch that, what Malachi says? He wants godly offspring. You know, in the home, when you and I, 
when we have our families, and I, I have the privilege of having Eliza, Jude, and Hope, the goal, one of the key goals that God wants in that family is that Amber and I might have the privilege that they might become a godly offspring. The chief place of discipleship has always been the home, and it needs to continue to remain the home. Dr. Dobson, the president of Focus on the Family, tells this great story about his great-grandfather. He was not a well-to-do man, sort of an average guy, jack-of-all-trades, but he came to salvation. But the one thing unique about him was he had a tremendous love for his family. And so what he decided to do later in his life was take one day a week and pray and fast for his children and their future spouses. This man did this for ten years. Dobson goes on to recall how God blessed this and all the children that came from this man became believers and married believers. It went on to the next generation that they were all married believers and many were in ministry like Dobson's dad. James Dobson's dad was a pastor. And during Dobson's generation, all the kids married ministers or became ministers except James Dobson. And we know what ministry God gave him to do. My point is in this, that God works through marriage to impact the offspring and to raise up godly offspring that bring glory to God. It has always been God's plan to work through families. We see it in the book of Acts. When people come to faith, it says, He and His whole household. That's everybody. And what a blessedness that is. The reason why we're having such a a decadence in today's society, I believe, is because so many marriages are given into divorce. And unfortunately, our legislator is helping that. I found out not too long ago as a chaplain that if you really want an easy divorce, go to the state of Oklahoma. I would have never guessed that in the middle of the heartland, but they have some of the easiest laws for getting a divorce. And it's breaking families in that state, and they have a huge problem. Well, how do we... Uh, maintain and guard our marriage? Well, dear friends, there's a couple of things I would just say, practically speaking, that we need to be on the lookout. We live in a very visual society. I have often hear from sergeants or officers, chaplain, it's okay to look, but not touch. Well, dear brother, uh, every affair, every family that I've had in my office where adultery is going on, it first started with a look and a glance. It began with the eyes and in the heart. And the way we guard against that is we set our affection on our brides or on our husbands. You see, uh, Thomas Chalmers wrote a, had a great sermon one time. He's a Puritan. And he, he's talked about the expulsive love, or expulsive affection of a new love. And what he's talking about, if you're going to take a sin away out of a person that that person loves, you've got to replace it with a greater love. You know, if we're going to battle these sins and these temptations that we face, we need to pray, God, produce in me a greater love for you and your kingdom and for my spouse. I have found that is some of the best medicine to rid yourself of temptations. God has often blessed that prayer in my life. Lord, help me to love Amber and to see her for all her glory. And when we do those things, it starts to... Get away, push away like oil and water, all these temptations that can be out there that can tempt us to not love our spouse the way we should. 
Very simply, we need to guard ourselves from looks or things that would seal our heart. For men, it's often pornography. For women, it can be through the romance novels or something to set their hearts on a different ideal, to get their minds thinking about the, the other stuff. But we in the church, we need to fight against that. Look, romance started in the church. That is where true romance happens. Jesus' love for His church, and that pervades down to us in our home. And so I would encourage you couples to to stay and to kindle your romance. Remember the things that got you together? They still work. I'm so glad I have a wife that reminds me that her love language is quality time. That is not mine. Mine is words of affirmation. And something early I had to learn on in my marriage was, it's not just good enough for her to just say, you look great, you look beautiful, you're fantastic. She liked those things, but what Amber wanted was my attention and my devotion and to go spend time out with her. And when I did those things, boy, romance kindled in her life for her, for me. That's one of the things that we need to think about as we consider our marriages. The other thing is we need to make those things called anniversaries a real highlight in our life. One of the greatest advices Amber and I got when we were a young couple is to watch our wedding video or to make that day special. We all try to do that in making our, that day special. And one of the things we were privileged to do in this modern age and age was to watch our wedding video. And now we do it for our kids. Every March 24th, we watch our wedding video. And i got to tell you, every time I watch that, I get a little convicted on my marriage. Because I think about the vows I said, We had two people give us charges, a guy who mentored me and a woman who mentored Amber. And each time we hear them speak, it's like, you know what? They're right. I need to stay on track here. Those things solidify our base. It takes care of our foundation. And when that happens, love continues to pervade. You know, uh, Another thing that came about with that is our kids. We started having all these kids around us, and they started watching. And you know, it's, it's easy for Eliza, but it's a little hard for Jude. But one of the questions that we have learned to ask is, uh, we say to them at this young age, Eliza, I say to her, when you have a young boy that wants to marry you, what is he supposed to do? He's supposed to come see you, Daddy. Why? Well, because, Daddy, you love me and you want to protect me in case this boy isn't the best for me. And as soon as that's over, my wife usually pops up and she says, Son, what are you supposed to do when you want to marry a young lady? Well, I'm supposed to bring her to you, Mommy. (laughs) Why? Well, because you love me and you want to protect me from what's best. You see, family should be involved in this whole process. That's how we produce that godly offspring. That's how we continue to pervade that down to our family. And God blesses that. And maybe you haven't had some of those things uh, part of your family, but please, I would encourage you to do that. Your kids want you involved in those decisions. Even though they may buck and may fight, it speaks more when you're to your kids that they know you love you Love them when you tell them the truth. That will matter in the long haul. 
Well, after saying all these things about divorce, Malachi has one more thing to speak to these hard hearts that he was saying to. And he says this, God is a witness. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And I hate man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garments, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in spirit and do not break faith. Why does God hate divorce? Well, as I've talked about, God is a God of covenant. We know from our Bibles that He covenanted with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the Israelites, and David. And when divorce happens, it breaks the natural design of God and His covenantal relationship with people. You see, when, when, when a divorce happens, there's something much bigger than two people separating and going their own ways and them fighting over the kids. It's an attack, it's a break on God's beautiful union of Christ's love for the church and the church's submission to Christ. It has that profound effect. And that is why divorce, when it happens, it's a sense of apostasy. It's the ripping of what God should be united. And God wants to protect that. That's why it's so, these words are so strong from Malachi. And they're words of love. They're not words of harshness or... Or denial, they're words of protection and love. As one writer said, I am convinced that if a strict view on divorce and remarriage were taught in our churches, there would be fewer divorces among believers. Marriages would be entered into one with more caution, and marriage partners would seek to preserve that union at all costs. Dear friends, 2,000 years ago, Christ came for His bride. He was determined to come after you and me and to rescue His church. And not even the gates of hell could stand against Him. Even when the devil threw everything he had at Him, Jesus rose victorious so that you and I could enter in a relationship with Him. And when our marriages stay intact, we are bringing honor and glory to God and to Christ and His love for the church. Well, dear friends, here in a minute, we're going to look at this Lord's Supper and we're going to remember what Christ did for us. We're going to remember this body that was broken for you and I. We're going to remember this wine, this, His blood which is poured out to cleanse us, to forgive us, and to make us holy. And the great thing about this supper is it reminds us of God's covenantal faithfulness to us. And it calls us as believers to look at ourselves and say, am I following that covenantal union in my marriages? Am I doing that covenantal union in my contracts, in my word? Is my yes being a yes and my no being a no? You see, God wants us to continually come back to His covenantal faithfulness to challenge us and to cleanse us and to make us more like Him in all our relationships. I would encourage you this morning to take time before the Lord of hosts and ask Him to search your heart. Lord, is there some area I have been unfaithful or is there some presumptuous sin that I'm allowing to lay hold in my life that needs to be uh, confessed and got right? Because the Lord, the Lord is gracious and forgiving. And when we confess our sins, many of us know that passage, when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Perhaps some of you all may have a deep struggle that you're struggling with, a besetting sin that just won't go away. I would encourage you, to meet with Mr. Riggleman or Mr. Bill, Dick and Marty, or myself, and provide some accountability. That's part of the family of God's kingdom. 
We all have those struggles, those pet sins that we all have weaknesses in. And that's where the church and confidentiality can support one another and build and strengthen walls of defense. So let us prepare our hearts as we come before the Lord's table. Let us pray. Father, we do thank You for this time. This time for Your church to do business. And as a time for Your church to remember what You've done, Jesus, and to remember Your covenantal faithfulness to us. Oh God, forgive us. Forgive me where I have broken covenant and challenge our hearts. Make them pure and holy. And Lord, if You would be so kind and gracious for these children who are present for the grandchildren that may not be represented in this room, that You would allow us to raise godly offspring. And Lord, like Dobson's family, that they would bear fruit, glorious fruit, and there would be a a deeper love of intimacy among family members and that intimacy shared with Christ. Lord, we ask those things in Jesus' name. Amen.